Take your Bibles, if you would, and turn to Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to try to finish up what we started, New Humanity. It's our series on newness, part two, so to speak, on tonight's. Dr. Carol Parker Walsh wrote a book. It's a popular level book. Your Clothes Speak is the title. Subtitle is Understanding and Using the Powerful Language of Your Personal Style. And it's exactly what you think it is. It's a book trying to get people to see the value of clothes and let them tell them how to dress, obviously, so they can make money off of it. But what she says in the book, there are some truth, truths tonight I want to pass along to you. She says, listen to this, what you wear is a reflection of who you are. Listen, not meaning, not to her, it's not, not meaningful, but it is to us spiritually. Because we're going to show you tonight what you wear spiritually, the clothes you wear spiritually, the ones you put off and the ones you put on. They are telling who you are. And I would say, can I say tonight a little aside, is it application? Those are, those are great spiritual truths that have secondary applications physically. I also think that this physical clothes that we wear ought to tell who we are. And let me tell you, so you know by what people wear, who they are, their identity. So I know exactly what a police officer looks like because I know the, the uniform they wear. I know what a doctor's outfit looks like and a nurse's outfit. I know what all that is. I, I know what a fireman's outfit is and, and what they look like. And a military person, uh, I know what they, their, I can tell who they are because of the clothes that they wear. And that's also true of us. That's why it's important to us as we raise our girls, to help them to dress modestly. You know why? Because every day, in fact, let me tell you the book, she says, your clothes are the way you speak to the world without words. Before you ever say anything, you've already spoken to people. Why? Because when they look at you, they see how you're dressed. So it it behooves us, right? To dress modestly, appropriately, and that's not easy in the world in which we live. In fact, it's not popular in the day in which we live. But I think that's a ramification or an application of the things that we should be doing spiritually because our clothes tell us who they are. In fact, she says, your clothes, she said, what your clothes say about you is the first step to change. And that's exactly what Paul's saying. You have, your clothes, whether you have on the old person, the old man, the old Adam clothes or the new Adam clothes tells all kinds of things. It's about how you start changing. You change because you take off your old clothes that you had on and you put on the new ones. So in our text, if you'll read it with me, it says in Ephesians 4.22, I'm going to start with 20 actually, but that is not the way you learn Christ. Assuming that you've heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. We're going to talk a little bit more about the verses to follow in a little bit. But for now, let me show you how this is put together so that you can understand it and, and further study on your own. There's a bunch of opposites in here. Obviously, the, the first one is the old 
humanity, the old man, the old self, depending on what translation you have. I like the old Adam, the first Adam. I like that view of it. And then the new Adam, the new person that you are. Now notice what the text says. It says, one, your old life conforms to, I should say, or corresponds to your former life. So the first Adam is what you used to be. This is the unsaved you. This is the you before you came to know Jesus Christ and how you lived. But when you get the new Adam or you become a new person, the new self, new humanity, it corresponds to God, opposites. That's how radical it is. A life without God, a life with God. You couldn't get any more polar opposite and extreme than that. And that's the kind of change that should be occurring in our lives. The one says that the old former life, the way you used to be, the first Adam, is corrupted by your desires. Did you catch that? Look at the text. It says that the old self belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. But in contrast, the new one is created in righteousness, verse 24, and holiness. They are complete opposites, controlling by lust and deceit, controlled by righteousness and holiness. And the one I just referred to, also it says one is based on deceit or lies about what we used to be. And that's why the the bridge part between is renewing your mind, because we need truth instead of lies to inform that change in our lives. So based on deceit versus based on truth. And truth is used five times in Ephesians. Mainly, obviously, the more key one is the belt. They have the armor of God. Everything's held up by truth. It's all based on truth. And that's the part that we all need to have in the forefront of our minds. So that's how it works on there. Now, let me tell you how it works. Start back with me in verse 20. But that is not the way you learn Christ. That but, if you circle it in verse 20, is a contrast to everything in verses 17 through 19. So this is how the structure works. He says that you used to, describes how they used to live in verses 17 through 19. If you want to, and we don't have time tonight, there are six layers of corruption that take place in a person's life, and you can read them in verses 17, 18, and 19. In fact, he starts off, I say, testifying the Lord, you no longer walk as the Gentiles do. In other words, you used to walk this way, and he describes the six layers of how you used to walk. And he wants to tell them, you don't do those things anymore. Draw a line from verse 17 where he says at the end, the futility of their minds to verse number 23 where he says, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. I want you to know this. Please listen to this. Christians change and it is not first and it's not even foremost external. Most people say this, oh, I used to smoke and now I don't. I used to get drunk and now I don't. I used to be addicted to this and now I don't. I used to look at this on the internet and now I don't. And that's all good. But that's not it because lost people can stop doing all of those things. That doesn't inherently make you a Christian. But if you look at the text, it says, you don't do these things anymore. Let me add to this argument. Follow me and underline if you would as you go along. He says in verse number 24, you put on the new self created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. 
But he says also that you are going to put away your formal desires. You are going to put away, in Colossians 3, verses 8 through 10, if you want to write that as a reference, he also says that you're putting it away with their deeds. You have crucified, Galatians 5, 24, the old man with his affections and desires. So here's what a Christian is. They change from the inside out. You could say this, change in a sentence is this, is that when your outsides match your insides, that's what Christian change is. That will not happen completely or perfectly in this life, but that is the goal. When our outsides match our insides. But the change is so radical that he says it's like you become a brand new person, an old you and a new you. And part of that is you change so much on the inside with your mentality, the way you think, the truths you believe, and the desires that you have that are new to you, that you change your behavior and your walk that goes with it. But the walk and the behavior and the externals are a product of what changes on the inside. So let me tell you this. That's why the Bible says, here's the formula for change. Put off, renew, put on. If you're not doing all of that in your Christian life, you will not be changing. If you are here tonight and you say, Pastor Walker, I've been a Christian for such and such amount of time, but I don't really see much growth in my life. Why does that happen Because you're trying to staple on, perhaps, to the outside of your life, new behaviors and new things without changing on the inside. I would have to say as a parent, and I've said this multiple times to other people, that the hardest thing about being a parent is that you can't give your children desires. I can make them do right on the outside, or at least to a certain age I can, right? But you cannot control what they desire, I can make them do certain deeds. I can make them come to church. I can make them do this. I can take away things from them. You can't do this, but you have to do that. But just because you come to church and have a Bible and read it occasionally and do nice things doesn't mean that you're a Christian. It means that sometimes you're nice. That's all that that means. But what a true Christian is, is a change on the inside with desires, mentalities, And complete changes. Complete changes. But you have to have the entire formula going at the same time. So let me tell you what it is. Verse 22, you put off. And then verse 24, you put on. Those are changing your clothes metaphors. That's what they are. It's a garment. It's like putting off a complete wardrobe or a complete outfit out of your wardrobe and putting on a complete new one completely different person. So putting off, by the way, mark it down. It's the same word used in verse 25 when it says, therefore, having put away falsehood. That's a little bit of a bracket there. You can even go down to verse 31 and he says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away. Not the same word, but the idea is the same. In the other words, part of the Christian life and change you have to have is you put off. Now, this is the part that in circles like we have, I think, gets most of the emphasis. That you stop doing the bad things or the wrong things you used to do. And uh, so in our circles, we say, you know, that's a judge of really a good Christian. 
is how you conform externally to all the rules. And so there's been a generation, in my opinion, that we've raised a generation of children who have fallen in line and conformed externally, and they, for the most part, unless they could deceive you, they will conform outwardly. They won't go to certain places, do certain things, or be a certain way, and not even wear certain clothes, and listen to certain music. And we, we think this, that if we shelter them, you know, if we tell them, stop doing that, stop doing that, don't do that, you can't go there, you can't listen to that, and we, that's what we want from them. Because, number one, we're afraid for them. Number two, we don't want them to make us look bad in front of other people, so everyone will think we're great parents. And so we don't want them to do anything. So we just keep them from doing all these things. And if we can shelter them and we can create, you know, they don't want, you're never going to listen to this. You're never going to watch that. You're never going to learn to have discernment. Then we think that we have done it. And so it's the old formula, holiness by subtraction. Get rid of all the bad things. Don't get me wrong. There is obviously put off in the formula, is there not? So we do put off things, and it's important to change and and do things right externally. Those are all important. Put off, it says, verse 22, the old self, the first Adam, which belongs to, see, your old identity. It's not just the old things you used to do or say. It's who you were. Remember what she said? What you wear reflects who you are. So let me tell you this, and I, my kids found this out in their 20s, that what you wear, meaning how you live your life and what you are, truly are, is reflected in what you wear. So if you're wearing the old man clothes and all the fleshly desires and actions and attitudes and mindset and ways of thinking that go with it, guess what? That's who you are. No matter what you might think or what you might have prayed when you were a little kid, your clothes tell all, Right? So she's right in that sense. Truly, she was talking physically. We're talking spirit. The power of clothes. It is. It tells a lot about you. But in the other hand, if you have the new person, the new Adam, the new humanity, and you have those things, righteousness and true holiness, that's what characterizes, that's who you really are because that's the clothes you're wearing and it shows up in your life. So you can't, but you can't have just put off. You can't just try to keep them from everything and keep yourself and, and, and have a bubble and get in it and a fortress mentality that we're going to get in here and nothing bad is ever going to happen or be around us and we're not going to talk to anybody who isn't Christian and so forth and so on. You know why? Because that's holiness. It's only half of the equation. Not, not even, actually. The other end of it is verse 24. Look at it. It says, and to put on the new self. Now see, I would say, The problem that people who only put off but don't put on, they're going to struggle with legalism. Here's why. Because everything is about your actions. And very little, if anything, is about your attitude. So what they care about, if you only put off but you don't put on, is did you follow the rules? Did you keep the standard? Did you do what it says? But very little is addressed about your heart and what you really wanted and what your desires were. And why did you think that way? And doesn't it scare you as a parent that you're not only your kids would do that, but they had a mindset to think that that's what they wanted to do. But we, if you have put off only, you run the, ram, the, the, the gamut of possibly learning to say, I'm a good kid and my kids are good, or I'm a good parent because we don't do bad things on the outside. But if you flip it over, there are people who only put on. 
And they're the people who say, hey, I'm kind, I'm nice, I'm forgiving, I'm loving, and I do this thing. And so I do all these nice things and good things, and I serve, but not much has ever been put off. So they don't really care about the music and say, I go to church and I love Jesus, but I go to this concert with these people and these things going on. And this is the language I use. I had to convince in the last three years, I've had conversations with three people and I had to have a long argument to convince them that using unbelievably awful foul language is actually wrong. I'm not, and, and they're Christians, and people go to church, and they serve the Lord. And, and, and to not be too graphic, I mean four-letter words that we would never say in our life. I had, to convince, I had to work hard at convincing them that as a Christian, you shouldn't be saying that. You know why? Because their whole life was about putting on, <laughs> but very little putting off. And so, you know, Pastor Walker, I give this, and I go there, and, you know, and I helped out, and I, I worked at this charity, and I did all, and they do a lot of putting on good things, kind things, serving other people, but very little putting off. I mean, literally, I've had conversations with people, other than the fact that, you know, Jesus is your Lord and Savior, and he's the only one that can really forgive your sins. After that, everything's up for grabs. See, let me tell you this, both polar extremes are wrong. The Bible says you have to put off and you have to put on. But it's more than just that external stuff. How do you bridge it? You might be here to say, Pastor Walker, hey, I've read this text before and look what it says. Verse 20. But that's not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you've heard about him. Look, look what's assumed. Here's what Christians are. They are people who heard about Christ and welcomed him into their lives. And then it says that you learn from him. So they didn't just hear it. They accepted it. They learned from it. They're in the process of growing and wanting to be like him. He says, if that's really true of you, he says in verse 20, as we're taught in him, the truth is in Jesus, he says. See, there's going to be change in your life. Change in your life. Let me tell you the first thing about the school of Christ, because we've learned from him. The school of Christ, the first lesson is, number one, basics 101, you have to change your clothes. You have to be completely different than what you were. You have to be growing in that. You might say, well, if, if Christ gives me the word, and Christ teaches me the word, and the truth is in Jesus, and this is all by grace, then what do I do? Do I have any part in change or do I just wait around and Jesus zap me as I read the Bible? No. Let me tell you this. The verse 23 says this. And to be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Colossians, Titus 3.5 says that we've been renewed when Christ gave us his righteousness. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 16 says our outward man is perishing, but our inward man is being renewed. Being renewed, a process all the time. What is that process? It is what? Renew your minds in the truth. In the truth, not the deceptive lies. Can I tell you this? It is your job as a person, individual, and if you're a parent with your child, can I tell you this? It is not enough just to tell them the truth. We have to tell them what the lies are. And let me just park for a second and tell you how crucial this is 
Do you know, remember the framework I gave you at the beginning? It says the old man is characterized, one of them is deceitfulness, the deceitful desires. And then the other one, it says, by truth. Can I tell you this? There's a big difference between truth and your inner feelings. Today, authority and secular world is given to your inner feelings. Let me tell you how important it is and how this works. You can have, as far as transgender goes, let me use that as an example. True authority today is not what, you, what is truth objectively, but is truth as far as how I feel it. So today, true authenticity and authority and transparency is not believing a lie on the inside and then working your life to conform to it on the outside. That's what transgender is. They have believed a lie that no matter what your biology is, you can pretend to be anything you want as long as you feel that way. You don't see what they've done? They've taken a lie internally and then conformed to it externally. That's what our world does because it's based on feelings. But instead, what ought to happen is that internally they have accepted a truth, an objective truth, namely the Bible and what God has says, and now they are conforming their life to it on the outside. But can I tell you this? Too many of God's people have believed lies. Believe lies about life and what's in it and what happens and relationships and your body and your physicality and your identity and on and on the list goes. We are in a culture filled with lies and it's not surprising because Satan is the chief liar, is he not? So let me tell you this, it's our job to conform on the outside so it's like what we are on the inside. But if your inside is full of lies... That's what you will be conformed to. So the Bible says, put off, and you put on, and how do you get that change to happen? You renew your minds in the scriptures. Let me put away a little bit of a myth for you. It is not, and you've and you got to hear this, renewing your mind is not just reading the Bible and a five-minute devotional um, that you get in the mail. If you think that reading your Bible a chapter a day, and I have, and don't get me wrong, it's okay, read Proverbs one chapter a day, but if you think just reading it and spending five minutes with it is going to change you and renew your mind, you're sorely mistaken. It isn't going to happen. The Bible isn't magical just because you read it. The Bible has, this is the change that happens with Bible. And you know this verse, Psalm 119 Verses 9 through 11 says, Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? <coughs> By taking heed thereto according to your word. Your word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against God. The question is, every morning, do you get the word of God off the page and into your heart? If you don't, then you're just reading the book. It's the getting it off the truth, off of that page and into your heart. Why? So we do that in many ways. We study it. We memorize it. We're able to know it. And then we practice it. Let me tell you a truth that will revolutionize your life. And I've very few people I try to get the disciple to do it are very consistent at it. When you read your Bible every morning, and I hope you do, 
that you read the Bible first because what God has to say to you is more important than what you have to say to him. So you read the Bible first and then you use what you read in the Bible to pray. So I take what I've read and I pray. But I'm not just going to study the Bible and pray the Bible. Now I have to do the important part. I have to do the Bible. So I'm not just a hearer of the word, but I'm a doer. So the last five minutes of your Bible meditation and prayer ought to be an intentional, conspicuous plan in the day in which you're doing it to actually act out on the Bible. That you are going to plan intentionally down to the fact that at lunchtime when you take your lunch break, you're going to check on yourself to see if you've actually done it today. I can tell you this. If you read your Bible and pray like that, and then every day you purposely put into action in that very day the thing that you've heard, it will change your life. You say, where do you get that, Pastor Walker? Look at verses 25 through 32. It reads, and that's why verse 25 and 31 have the little target word on there, put away, and it encompasses the entire paragraph to follow it. Why? Because he wants to show you, I gave you the theory, the biblical theology of change, the abstract part of it. Now he's going to give you the concrete part. Let me tell you what it looks like because he's going to give you a series of real-life scenarios about how, what it looks like to put off and put on based on renewing your mind. Let's go through them real quickly. Verse 25 reads, Therefore, having put away, there's the put off, put away falsehood, here's the, the put on, let you speak the truth with this neighbor. The reason is, for we are members of one another. So here's what we do. We put off the old false lies, and we put on the truth when we speak to our neighbors. He says, for we are members one of another. And by the way, that little phrase is a quotation. Uh, And so he is saying, here's how you take this verse and renew it. So when you communicate to people, we don't speak lies, we speak truth. We put off, we renew, and we put on. Next, be angry, but do not sin. So here's, put on righteous anger. Put off sinful anger, he says. Don't let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. And by the way, take this for what it's worth. That if you're not changing on the areas of your life that you need changed on, you are giving a place to the devil. So let me tell you this. It's not that you're not growing and you're static, you're either not growing or you're going backwards. And if you're, not, if you're going backwards, you're giving the devil an opportunity to get into your life. Because the biggest clothing change that you have is two chapters later in this book where he uses the same verb again in Ephesians 6 and verse 10. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but we put on, verse 11, put on. The whole armor of God. Watch how he goes through it. Three times in those eight verses in the armor of God. Put on, put on, put on. Why? Because the most important clothes you put on every day is to fight against spiritual wickedness. And that's why he says the devil in this text. Because if you're not growing and you're not living out and putting on your new clothes, you're giving opportunities to the devil every single day, he says. Then he says this, verse 28, let... The thief no longer, remember that phrase up there in 417? There is no longer again. See, you're changing. You used to be a thief and you stole and you did that, he says. But watch for a Christian 
when is someone not a stealer anymore or a thief? When they stop stealing, no. That's not true for Christians because we've changed more radically than that. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his hands, purpose clause, what? So that he may have something to share with someone. See, here's Christian change. I don't go from stealing to non-stealing. I go from stealing to non-stealing to generosity. That's Christian change. You know why? Because anyone can stop doing the stealing part. But only Christ can revolutionize your heart to the point where you not only stop stealing, but you give away what you have freely. That's Jesus in you. That's learning. That's in the classroom of Christ. Next one. Let no corrupt talk come out of your mouths, but only as such is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may minister grace to those who hear. So notice, no corrupt communication out of your mouth, no cussing. And the word corrupt literally means rotten. It's like the picture of when you go in your refrigerator and you had leftovers in those Tupperware containers and you pushed it to the back somehow and you forgot it was in there and three weeks later, it's growing things on it. Remember how it's disgusting? You open that up and you go, oh, that's, that's repugnant. It's awful. That's the kind of speech he's talking about. So what is, how does that change happen in Christians? You go from bad things to good things? Oh, no, more than that. We do things that are building up people. We actually give grace. <laughs> so that's how the change of speech is radically different. I don't know how you can read that verse and say it's okay to use four-letter words. How can you possibly think that? Because there's no change going on. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Listen to what he says. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander be put away with you, all malice. That's the put off. But what do you put on? It's not that, listen, you're trying to reconcile with someone and it's not that you say, well, they're terrible to me and I've decided I'm not going to be mean to them like they've been mean to me. Well, that's good, but listen to Jesus. You ever read the Sermon on the Mount? He says, if you love those who love you, how are you any different than tax collectors and sinners? Because it's easy to love people who love you. You know what Jesus says? That's not enough. That's not Christian change. And that must have been a blow to their ego to say that's no different than tax collectors and sinners. That must have put them down a notch. But he says, here's what it is. He says, love those who are your enemies and despitefully use you. Do good to them. Do you see the difference in change? The put off is, yeah, I'm not going to be mean to you, but I'm, that's not change. Now, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to do good for you. Good things for you. Aren't you glad that Jesus did that for us? You know what salvation is? It's not just Jesus saying, oh, by the way, I'm not going to send you to hell anymore, but after that, you're on your own. No, he didn't just not do bad things to us. He says good things to us. We're not just not going to hell. We're going to heaven, Right? We have an inheritance. We have eternity forever and ever. And then he says, be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Did you notice that verse 25 and 32 have a bracket in it as well? And it's a one another phrase. Because you know what the hardest thing and the most difficult area of our lives to change is? Relationships. You want to tell whether you're really changing in your life? There's a lot of ways to know how you use your money, 
how you handle stress and conflict. I mean, those are really good ways to know whether you're growing or not. But can I tell you probably the most common one and perhaps even the most powerful one, how do you respond in relationships when things go wrong? Are you kind, tenderhearted, forgiving? Oh, see, that's the change. The change in relationships, he says. All of this, and I have to conclude with it, Pastor Walker, so I get it. We need to change as Christians. I get what it means. To, it's not something I work up. It's because I'm made into a new person and the new person package I'm given by Jesus when I'm saved allows me to do all that. So I do changing, but it's really Jesus working through me to change because even in that, he gets the glory. But what is the goal? And this has got to be the most motivating thing in your life every day. He says, you haven't learned Christ. What's the idea in the school of Jesus, every course and every curriculum, every assignment, the goal is this, to be like Jesus. In verse 5, chapter 1, verse five, chapter 5, verse 1, he even starts again, be imitators of God. You know why? Because the most important thing in Paul's life and all the purposes and reasons behind all the change is not to make my life better. It's not so I can have a better marriage or get along with my in-laws or because I have this problem with this relationship with one of my friends. And if I did this change and I really got my act together, boy, my life would be so much better. No, that isn't the goal, although that's a nice re- uh, byproduct of it. You know what it is? I want, number one, inside and out, to be like the master. To be like Jesus. That is the most important thing about you. So let me ask you, (laughs) whose clothes are you wearing? What clothes are you wearing? And what does it say about who you are? See, the Bible wants to say, see, it's when you're outside, it matches your inside. Not your inside, but the inside Jesus has put in you if you know him. See, that's the change that he wants. And he wants you to say, and that's what you do when you desire to become like me. Is that true for you? Let's pray. Father, it's not just holiness by subtraction. It's also holiness by addition. We take out things in our lives. We're good at that. But we also put things into our lives that need to be there. And all of it is with a mindset, an attitude, a framework of thinking that the Spirit of God uses the Word of God in our minds to change the way that we think about life. Most of us tonight could say, how different our priorities are, our values are, how we view money, how we view our children, what it means to raise them, what our goals for them are, what is right and what is wrong, what is worth wanting. All of those things have changed. Father, I pray for Christians tonight here who have big question marks written all over their growth and maybe some that haven't grown much in recent times. Oh, Father, help us to come back to the great and most important motivation to be like you and be willing to put off, renew, and put on. That is the bridge to change, that we might know you, not just go through our duty every day to read the Bible because if not, something bad might happen to us, 
but because we love you, because we have this great passion that burns in our souls to know you in such a way that we become like you. Oh God, help us, conform us, mold us, shape us into that image, the image of our Savior. For it's in his name we pray, amen.